Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey, Truth Seekers, welcome back. Tonight, we have a pretty exciting episode for you that's going to kind of spin out into a multiple episode subject. Yeah, well, I think we're going to do a secret space program series. Ooh, I really like the sound of that. I like it because there's no way in hell we could fit all of this information into one episode. Oh, God, no. Who knows how long it's going to go on for or how many episodes it's going to be, or if we'll take breaks in between and maybe cut it up with some other information, but the secret space program is a big one to tackle. It is, and I think it's a easy way to go about mentioning all the other things that we could talk about mm-hmm. as far as when flying saucers first came around or the beginning of our secret space program, the beginning of NASA, JFK. There's so many things that involve the secret space program, whether it's the beginning of it or all the drama that happened in between. There's so many things that we could tackle and talk about, and so it's a great place to start. So let's start off with me asking you, do you think think the secret space program's real? Yes. I think there are many secret space programs. I don't think that we can just say that there's one secret space program. All right. There's many that are happening. And I think it's not that hard to believe that we can do so much more than what we're shown through NASA. I don't think it's a hard stretch for people to grasp that, you know, we were on this road of all these breaking technologies and it was just increasing and then all of a sudden it came to a stop. And now it's like we can't grow any further than that. Yeah, and I find it interesting that a lot more people are coming out and saying that they've been a part of the secret space program. There's Mm -hmm. been a lot more of these whistleblowers coming out and talking about it. And what I really like is it's not just the younger people, but it's older people. Mm Mm-hmm. People that have been holding on to this secret for maybe 30 plus years. People that are breaking their oaths and they're crying about it. And of course, this first came out with the National Press Club. What was that? The Disclosure Project with Mm -hmm. Stephen Greer. Mm -hmm. All those people were breaking their ranks by telling what they had been a part of and what they had been holding on to. And now that they're reaching this certain age, they can speak out about it or they're about to die. And so on their deathbed, hey, I got to get the secret out. This is real. And then they die. And I will say there is a lot of big name people in this community who use SSP. That is something that they talk about. It's part of their platform. And so it's interesting that a lot of these big names are some of the biggest proponents of it. I think it's just an interesting time. Back in the day, it was more important to keep your oath of secrecy. And there's going to be a lot of patriots out there that think that you should keep those oaths. Mm -hmm. Just like Snowden, you could either take him as being a traitor or Or a liberator liberator and being brave about it. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, I'm like, absolutely for him. But other people are like, no, that's not cool. He's broke national security secrecy, you know? So it just depends on how you take it. But I think a long time ago, you had to keep those things. And of course, you can't just run around talking about aliens without people thinking that you're nuts. Oh, for sure. And now that it's been such a slow but progressive drip, it's not as shocking to hear about it. Yeah, it's not as taboo anymore. Yeah, so everyone's like, oh yeah, me too. It's a different type of me too. I was just gonna say, hashtag me too. All right, so let's jump right into it. And I think the best place to start with 
this topic and the best jumping off point is going to be one that's a little odd. Maybe to a lot of people when you first hear me say these two things together, but once you hear the story, it'll start to make more sense. We're going to start in Antarctica with the Nazis. Antarctica, as we all know, is a very weird place to say the least, I think. Um, there's a lot of mystery and conspiracies that come with that area. Antarctica to me is like another picture that we have on the wall where we're connecting all of the threads and where a lot of threads connect to. And as much as people maybe not recognize it, it happens. And so of course, of all the places in the world, this is where it begins. Of course, with Nazis, because who's the people that did the most worst, horrible things and no one wants to talk about? The Nazis. So of course they did crazy shit and are involved in these conspiracy theories and these wild accusations and things. It makes sense to me when I hear those two things together, but maybe not so much to other people. I think it would almost be rude to not give them the credit of being extremely smart. Oh, for sure. They I mean, were. that's obvious when you, edge. Yeah, when you talk about Operation Paperclip, which we'll eventually get into, I mean, they were smart. We stole all of their people. There's a reason we stole all of their people because they had a history and a past and they were incredibly intelligent people who were probably reaching space long before we thought anyone ever did. Absolutely. Antarctica really wasn't founded until about the 1820s, making it the last continent to be discovered. It's not like people have been there for like, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. That we know of. Ooh, that we know of. I like that. In 1938, the German Antarctic expedition was led by a guy named Alfred, who was a captain in the German Navy. The official purpose of the expedition was to find an area to set up a German whaling station. But skeptics say the rumored goal of this expedition was to scout for possible German naval base, which in my opinion is super possible. Alfred and his crew spent about a year on the continent. They set up a temporary base, explored, put Nazi flags on everything, of course, and even took more than 16,000 aerial photos of Antarctica, which is like the first photos that we have of Antarctica as a whole. They were surveilling the place. Possibly. I so think so. Historians say that this is all that happened there. They just explored, they took pictures, they hung out, it was nothing serious. But theorists allege that the Germans either discovered an abandoned alien technology while they were there, or made direct contact with extraterrestrials. You do hear some rumored talk that even though we have these dates where it's more known that the Germans really did have contact with ETs way, way, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. So one thing I have to say when it comes to this is there's varying different stories that you hear. But I think what we'll talk about today happens to be the most common. To me, it seems likely that they either did come in contact with someone or they were scouting. To me, it's like scouting for new land. It's like what they did with Columbus. They're like, check it out, let us know, then we're gonna come back. Well, so that's where it gets weird though, because it's theorized that while they were there, you know, it wasn't just like a boat full of some naval people. They sent out military people, they sent out scientists, they sent out, you know, any anybody they could find out there to try to go and explore, because obviously they were looking for something. If you come across a big island full of ice, do you really think that something's gonna be there and it's gonna be worth exploring? So you obviously have to have some inkling that something more is there. 
to go through all that treacherousness. I mean, I think at some point in their expedition, just to even scout it and like check it out and go around it before they even put boots on the ground, their boat got stuck for like a year in ice. It reminds me of that show I watched last year. Boat got stuck in ice, the terror. That shit was crazy, but same shit, exploring the Antarctic. It's a dangerous thing. So in my mind, they had to have been looking for something. And one of the things that they rumored to have found was this underground paradise that was like this beautiful tropical, waterfalls, like this beautiful, lush green trees and things under the ice. That to me sounds hard to believe. So, but let's go with it. Here's <laughs> here's the thing about it that kind of sort of makes sense when you think about this in the long run. All of the world used to be one giant continent. To really understand how this works, you have to know a brief history of what Antarctica looked like millions of years ago. Antarctica, India, and Africa were once a supercontinent known as Gondwana until about 18 million years ago. Antarctica was once filled with both animal and plant life. So theoretically, when the continents drifted apart, there could have been this great luscious forest that was there that was then covered by ice. And so there's a possibility that there's pockets down there that are their own ecosystems, which have has even been proved scientifically these days. Like they've dug down deep into these like wells under the ice and they've found like, you know, these huge vast ponds and things like that filled with like crazy life that they had no idea could exist in those kind of conditions and things like that. So I find it very possible that they could have found some weird paradise and set up shop down there. This paradise, you'd have to be like in a tropical setting. There's no way. Under the ice. They would have to be there for years on years on years. And even then, it's not getting any oxygen. I'm not going to say I know how that ecosystem works. But I can say if I put all of that scientific shit together, that it makes sense to me that there's probably some weird shit under the ice in Antarctica that we don't know about. The years, the millions of years of ice that have been built up on top of it. We have no idea what's down there. That's true. But I think more like frozen in place, kind of like... Um, See, and I don't think so. Like Pompeii. I think that there's probably parts of it that are close enough down to the core of the earth where it's a lot warmer, so it's defrosting. It's probably created its own environment down there. Well, now we're talking like centuries of digging for them to discover that for the first time. Well, you never know. There might have been some weird cave. Who's not to say that some aliens didn't live down there in some weird cave and had some out and the Germans just happened to stumble upon their little hole that went down into exactly. the paradise. Or they had contact with ETs before who told them to go to Antarctica. Well, and that's the whole, the whole mystery and kind of where this whole conspiracy theory leads. That's the version of the Bible that I know. <laughs> <laughs> Germany did set up some sort of a base there, and there are a lot of witnesses and a lot of writings about some of the things that went on there. Whether we can prove these writings to be true or not is going to always be up in the air for all the FFCs out there. But we're just going to give you the theories that we have and where it kind of spirals down from here. We've painted you a picture. We're in Antarctica. Germany has a base there. I'm going to say it's underground in a tropical paradise because that sounds fantastic <laughs> to me. But if you want to think they're in a cold, sad cave to each their own. Because when I see Nazis, I think of them all buttoned and strapped up. I cannot see them in like a Hawaiian t-shirts and some shorts with the visor on and a little umbrella and their drink. And they're like, oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think that we're meant to remember Nazis like that. So who's to know? That's under the Because I guess you have to remember at the same time, at the end of the day, they were actual real people. They probably had personalities and shit. And Robots. They were probably buttoned up when they were in service, but, you know, when they went home and had a little bit of the sauce. 
Who knows what happened? I think they still kept their socks on. Let's just say that. I think they kept those <laughs> knee-high black socks on. So it's rumored that within these underground oasises that the Nazis found, they built what is known today as Base 211, or New Berlin, as people call it. Base 211 hosted a vast list of conspiracy theory top listers like the SS itself, the Thule Society, the Virgil Society, the Illuminati, and other kind of shadow groups. And even John Kerry's been linked to being there before. The fuck? Yeah, makes no sense. Even parts of it kind of go into Freemasonry. There's ties back to that as well. And just kind of all things occult happening at this base 211. They did things like invite mediums and, you know, channelers and things like that. And one of the most well-known was Maria Orzik. So Maria Orsic was kind of the leading lady of the Vril Society, which was an all-German society turned Nazi party society. But the Germans have always been into this kind of esoteric, occult-type practices. I mean, you could go back as far as you can find, and they were always sort of into these sort of things, which to me makes perfect sense, because if you want not only world domination, but if you're trying to be on the leading edge of sciences and power into the stars, you have to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. This Vril Society is really an interesting type of society. They believed that Vril was a life force energy and you can harness this energy and use it for metaphysical powers, material powers, for healing, and of course, conquering world domination, which is like, (laughs) for the Nazis, that's major life goals. So they would use various methods to enhance this viral power and this viral energy like meditation, but they also had ritualistic practices to summon the viral. And so they did things like sex magic and also human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Throw back to our last episode with this dark elite cult type practice with human sacrifice, they loved children. Mm-hmm. Because viral was supposed to be stronger in children. Because the younger that you were, the closer you were to the astral world and not so much the material world. So you had more of that vril energy that you could harness. So unfortunately, of course, a lot of orphans were involved. They were into these super dark practices that I think link a lot to what people are doing now. But one thing I thought was really weird was it reminded me of of how Scientology might have been started, Mm. which was from a sci-fi novel. Oh, interesting. So in 1871, there was this novel called The Coming Race. And it was about these beings called the Vril that lived underground. And they could basically resurface at any time and take over the world. And they also happened to be an all Aryan race. Were they living in Antarctica by any chance? Probably. So I just think... It's a lot like another religion that I mentioned where they get these ideas from a sci-fi novel and kind of twist it because that would be fabulous if that were real. Mm -hmm. And then they invest all their energy into believing it. The leading channeler, Maria Orsic, she was known for channeling directly from an ET race of Aldebaran. But it wasn't just Maria. She also had a little bit of, she had a clan, I guess you could say. Her, her, what is it? Her entourage. No, uh, her coven. Her coven. Her coven. One thing I find interesting is anytime you hear about her, read about her, watch about her, no matter what, everyone always has to mention how beautiful they all were and how they had long, long hair, which 
it's funny that they believed that the longer their hair was, it was like an antenna to channeling to other beings. Oh. It was like she had her own psychic clique roaming around with her. That mm-hmm. was a big part of this real society. She basically was able to channel instructions for building this flying saucer. It was like she was channeling the blueprints for this craft that could take them off planet. What ended up being an anti-gravity engine is really what it was that she wrote down the instructions to build. It was rumored that this race that she was channeling from the Aldebaran system, that they were originally from what we call now Sumeria, and that they were possibly still a Sumerian empire. In ancient Sumerian, VRI-LL was meaning godlike. Godlike, yeah. So a lot of people will say that she could have possibly been channeling the Anunnaki. But to me, I feel like that's everyone's go-to race Mm -hmm. is the Anunnaki. If it's not the Anunnaki or the reptilians or the greys, if it's a nice story, then Mm -hmm. it's the Nordics. Mm -hmm. Other than that, to me, I think they're just like throwing things out there. So I don't know if I really believe that. But it is interesting that she was able to channel these detailed instructions for the flying saucer. Well, and that's what really ended up getting her involved with Hitler and Base 211. He hears about her channeling these ETs for the this crazy machine and calls her on down to Antarctica and says, Let, let's have a conversation. Bring your coven with you. I like you say coven. We'll sit down. We'll have some stew, maybe a little wine, and we'll have a discussion about what it is you know and how we can help each other. Just don't bring any juice. <laughs> So Germany, of course, after taking an interest inside of Maria Orzik and the Vril Society, Maria Orzik and her coven, the Vril Society, met with Hitler to discuss the circular flying machine project that she had mapped these blueprints out for. There was at least one test flight later in the year which did not end as all hoped for. So maybe it didn't fly like it should. And the machine ended up returned with way more damage than expected for its first flight to another planet. And instead of continuing to work on the project and channeling helpful information, Orzik then disappeared. She was last seen in early 1945. On March 11th, 1945, she sent the letters to the members of her organization that ended with the statement, no man stays here. No Vural member, including Maria, was ever heard from again. Or did she go to outer space? I think that they left, they took off. Who even knows if she really wrote the letter? That's very true. Back then, I'm sure they could fake a lot of things. It's interesting that all they wanted was to get the hell off of the planet. Well, it's interesting to me that she gave him information, it didn't really work out how the Germans liked, and then she disappeared. We don't really know that it didn't work out the way that they liked. But that's what the history books are saying. Not the ones that I've read. I hear it, I guess maybe I read the more skeptical side of things that were like, no. So your skeptical side is that she gave the plans, it didn't work out so well, so then they just killed her. Yeah, pretty much. I think that they sort of worshipped her in a way. You think so? Mm-hmm. I don't think they would have killed her. They needed her for her ET connection. What if she helped them make contact? Maybe not make a UFO right off the bat, but maybe helped Hitler make contact with ETs and then ETs came down. Then they didn't need her anymore as an interpreter between the two because Hitler now had his own connection to aliens. So then he was like, girl, bye. Exactly. William Tompkins, like the number one insider person that spoke out about the secret space program died. His own version of the story was that she actually was a Nordic. So basically none of that already happened. She was a Nordic that came down to meet with him and gave him 
this information. See, and this is what is hard about conspiracy theories and secret societies and all this kind of information in this world we live in. There's so many different accounts of what happened and so many possibilities of what it could be. It's where everything gets jumbled up and I think people get frustrated with conspiracy theories because you kind of have to pick a side of what it is you want to believe and go for to continue on the story. Whether you believe it one way or another, the story then splits off in very different directions. But I think what we're talking about today, it's still getting to the same points. Earlier I mentioned that there's different information or different sides of the story, but basically what's common, like what's always stayed true, is that the Germans are in Antarctica. They did somehow, if they didn't channel the information, they had contact Mm -hmm. with other ETs Mm -hmm. that gave them knowledge of of these flying saucers. I think that's with any story, right? Like the game telephone, it starts with one word, and by the time it comes around to the circle, it's a completely different story. Exactly. But what we've heard so far from all these various different versions of what possibly happened, there's still those solid foundations, like pillars of truth. Absolutely. That you can find that's just so common with all of them. It's the one common thread, I think, with this whole story. I'll agree with that then. So whatever the fuck happened to her, either she was a Nordic, she dropped by and she bounced, or he killed her off. If she helped him, they're still together. And then she was like, okay, now that I've built my ship, I go back home. <laughs> I leave now. I Thank leave you. now. Thank you very much. Goodbye. She was Russian. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, Hitler somehow became in contact with extraterrestrials of some sort. This is the beginning of them recreating UFOs. I think this is an interesting story, too, because a long time ago, when I heard rumors of... UFO sightings and stuff with flying saucers and all this stuff and it could possibly be the Nazis. I was so opposed because I thought, what does that mean? And there's no ETs? Like, where do they fit into the story? But now that I understand more of the background and how it evolved, it makes more sense and I'm not as like afraid of it not being ETs, if that makes any sense. It does. I get what you're saying. Hitler either had alien technology that he was recreating So either he, you know, took some sort of a spacecraft from the ETs or the ETs directly gave him instructions on how to build what was going on. Hitler did things like kidnapping physicists and scientists and things like that and forcing them to work for him under these secret orders to build these UFOs. So a lot of people really kind of at the beginning didn't know what they were working on. And then slowly over the years, realizing, oh my God, I've gotten in way more over my head than I should be. I feel like that's our tactic now in America with all these things that people work on. It's true. It's like you start slowly dripping it in and then they start seeing the big picture like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. So one of these physicists was Victor, and I'm probably going to say his last name wrong, Schraub. Burger, Schraberger. Schwarzburger. Oh, there you go. (laughs) I like that. See, you could do the German better than I can. I am a lot of German, you know. And he was an um, Austrian physicist. And in 1939, Hitler summoned him to Berlin for a meeting, which I feel like when Hitler summons (laughs) you, it's not... It's not really an option. Yeah, it's not like, (laughs) hey, come over for dinner, wink, wink. Like, it's it kind of sucks. But 
he was widely known for his vortex experiments using water and fish, and he was developing turbines that could kind of create anti-gravity propulsion. So Hitler was really interested in him. So he was like, hey, come over to my house. Do a Hitler voice for me. Saying, I can't. I can't. I don't know. Hey, come to. No, we can't. German. No matter what, it's like, it sounds almost Spanish. I know. It's bad. Because he had a little bit, he sounded a little bit lispy and gay to me. Hitler I feel did. like he just talked with a lot of like aggression and just spit flying everywhere. See, and I see more of a, oh, you don't also, know. Also, he romances you. Yeah, I feel like at the beginning. Garbage. He's very like, it's that. It, it was, I know. He's known for being charming or it whatever. Was, yeah, it was said that when he met with Victor, he like welcomed him very warmly and was like, you know, come on in, have a cocktail, let's talk. Like it started off like very nonchalant, like I'm not going to kidnap you and, you know, make you my own forever. <laughs> You're mine. So this first initial meeting, although started out well, ended up lasting 11 hours before he let Victor leave. That should have in some way, shape or form maybe tipped off Victor. Like maybe this isn't what should be going on. Maybe you shouldn't be having a meeting with, with this kind of dude. So Hitler lets him go, whatever. But then, you know, a few years later in 1943, Victor was 58 years old, might I tell you, an old man at this point. And he was drafted into the German SS by Hitler <laughs> having to go. And he was placed directly under the control of a guy named Hendrich Himmler. Himmler forced Victor to research and develop a new secret weapon and threatened to kill him if he did not cooperate. Victor was then housed at Schloss Scrotenberg so that engineers imprisoned nearby could assist him with his work. At 60 years old, to get forced into being part of the German Nazis. At Scrotenberg. At Schloss Scrotenberg. I'm telling you, I like Scrotenberg. Scrotenberg. (laughs) Look, I'm in no way... German. I'm very Jewish, so if I have no, I'm gonna have no idea how to pronounce any of these fucking words, guys. Bear with me. So, although he was 60 years old and kidnapped, he also didn't take it very lightly. He wasn't just gonna do whatever the fuck he was told. He had a little bit of kind of an attitude with it and pushed back a little bit. And so he did have a lot of demands when he was talking to the SS. He had to make sure that he had the right equipment, the right people he was working with. So he was allowed to choose the top 30 engineers that he could find to come and work with him on this information. He only wanted red M&Ms. He was very particular. He was definitely a diva, I will say. But I mean, at 60 years old, you're kind of kidnapping him and he's building secret weapons for you. You might as well let him have what he wants. They had money. That's very true. Make your demands. This happened a long time. He developed, well, he was rumored to develop a lot of these flying machines and stuff like that. But what happened at the end of the war is the Allies confiscated all top secret information by the Nazis. And it was forever kind of concealing what he actually did or didn't do or what he created or didn't create down there. It sucks because they obviously had this really smart guy who was in charge of recreating technology for them. And he had the top engineers he could find. So obviously some type of good work would have to be done. And it's a shame that we have this excuse of, well, the Allies confiscated everything, so we don't know what happened. I think it's more like they knew that they weren't necessarily going to win this war. And so over the period of time, they started moving all of their technology over to Antarctica. And so by the time the year was over, we really didn't have much to go off of anyway. They had already been making their plans. The Germans were definitely in contact with the Draco. And I think the whole reason 
why they went to Antarctica was with this involvement with the Draco, with the Draco wanting this alien technology that had already been submerged. And I think that they sort of made this agreement with the Germans and had them basically dethaw, however you want to put that, mm -hmm. to get this technology out of the ground. And I think that they made some sort of trade and agreement in order to help each other out for that. I've heard of talks of the Germans cloning themselves. Oh, yeah. And putting them on the front line during the war while they could have this double purpose. They were here trying to win the war, but really they were also just trying to get their technology off of the ground. And they made bases down there with the Draco. And they had so much going on in Antarctica. They were moving things over to Antarctica and they started manufacturing things that you could use for other planets, anything you could think of. Well, I would assume that they would have to make it look like they were at home still fighting the war because you don't want to tell the rest of the world that you're jumping off planet. So I find it very plausible and possible that they could clone themselves and create this distraction of war going on to mask what they're really doing because that's false flags. That's what we do. We create these wars, but really it's just a way to funnel money around. Or to do things that we don't know is really going on. And they're very smart, like I said in the beginning. So, I mean, smoke and mirrors, to me, that's perfect. I don't think that they achieved all of these great and horrific disgusting things and then just took a fall. I think they were smarter than that. They were doing something else and it happened to be in Antarctica. They were working with these Draco and they had a lot going on over there and all of us were more focused with what's happening here rather than what was going on there? Down there. Although what was going on down there was starting to bleed out into the rest of the world. They couldn't contain it down in Antarctica forever. So I think we're going to have to end this episode here before Antarctica, the alienness of it, starts to creep out into the rest of the world where we start to see some of our first, you know, UFO sightings from military personnel and some of the alleged craft that the Germans were building, really the beginning of the secret space program. Definitely. So stay tuned. Secret Space Program Part 2, we can get into that because there's a lot for us to go through. Oh, yeah. This is where, you know, we're going to get out of the more fact-based side of what happened into the more creative, <laughs> interesting, I don't even know how to say it. I think it's going to surprise a lot of people to think of maybe some things that we think were straight alien possibly could not have been. But we'll just leave it there. We're going to end on a high note hey there before we get into our timeline. All right. So let's take a little moment from our day to uh, just say thank you to all of our favorite people in the world and do our favorite part of the episode. Shout outs. We have at our skeptic level, Jan from The Good, The Bad, and The Just Plain Standard podcast. And our truth seekers, Jamie's mom, Shayna. Hey, mom. We have Destiny at Destiny from Space on Instagram. Love you, Destiny. We're going to get into our first made-up category, which is a skeptical truth seeker, and that is Adam, who is one of the hosts of Not For Everyone podcast on Instagram, and they're at Not For Everyone podcast. Then we have our middle bitches, Raya, Raya, we love you. We also have Scotty at Scotty Doodle on Instagram, and Bobby, who's the other half of Not For Everyone podcast and you can find him at Pinball Bobby on Instagram. Our next made up category which is going to be a skeptical middle bitch. <laughs> AP. Hey AP, love you. At Weather Traditions on you Instagram. You actually really, I keep forgetting to tell you, you need to email her and talk to her about times to interview her. 
right now. Yeah, I keep minutes. forgetting. Well, we got you. Don't worry. And then our last but not least, and certainly our favorite, the Anything Is Possible category with Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening this week. You can check us out on Instagram at that one time I was abducted. Shoot us an email at that one time I was abducted at gmail.com and all the other places on the internet you can find us. Love you guys so much. Have a great night. Fuck you, Mountain View, California. Love you. Thank you.